0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Esther chapter 2. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, In a book called The Hiding Place, uh, which is an autobiography, the author tells us about how God showed up in some very strange and some very nitty-gritty moments in this person's life. And it doesn't get much worse than a Nazi concentration camp, but that's exactly the environment that uh, a young lady by the name of Corey Tin Boom and her sister Betsy find themselves in. And uh, in chapter 13 of this book, The Hiding Place, the girls describe how they find themselves transferred into a barracks that is completely and totally infested with fleas. And very quickly, uh, they start getting flea bites all over them that cause them great pain and uh, caused them to uh, not enjoy the barracks that they were living in in that moment. Now, at this moment, they have a copy of God's Word. They are reading it, and they come across a passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for that is... um, the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in return of reading that Scripture, the girls decide we're going to thank God for the fleas. And you're like, I don't know about you, but if I'm sleeping in fleas, I don't know that I'm thanking God for those fleas. It's not until later that they will discover that... um, the fleas actually kept the guards from coming into their barracks. And because of the fleas uh, and the guards not entering into their barracks, it gave them the freedom to pray and to worship and to have Bible study with everyone else in that barracks with them. You know, God shows up sometimes um, when things get real, when things get messy. Um, there is no circumstance in life that we ever should enter into where we stop seeking God and we stop thanking God and praising God. Which leads us to the big idea of our, uh, our message tonight. Even when the world seems to be going from bad to worse, God continues to work in our lives in unexpected ways. You know, God delights to use His people to accomplish His plan. He doesn't need us to accomplish His plan, but He delights uh, to use us for His plan. And we're going to see God use two very specific characters in chapter 2. We're going to see Mordecai and Esther enter into the story. Um, And we're reminded that God is searching uh, the world, searching for people to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards Him. You know, God doesn't necessarily always look at your brains or um, your money or your success. He looks at your heart. and He looks at the attitude of your heart. He wants people whose hearts belong to Him. And here in Esther chapter 2, we're going to see a story of a young lady whose heart is totally sold out for God. And we're going to see uh, several different reasons why. Uh, Esther is most known, I think, when you read the story for her external beauty. But we're going to see someone whose heart is completely sold out for God. And I think that uh, God was probably most impressed with her heart and her willingness to trust Him, her willingness to obey Him, even in a time where everything in her life seemed to be going haywire. So, uh, God did the exact same thing in the life of Cory Ten Boom in this difficult time that she faced. And it's also the exact same thing that God wants to do in our lives as well. So the question that we really have to ask ourselves is, will we be faithful when that time comes? When, you know, we have life circumstances where, as my dad used to say, where the rubber hits the road. Uh, when that happens, are we going to be faithful to God? Um, A few things that I do want us to consider before we jump into reading the text this evening is, number one, Mordecai doesn't enter Esther into a beauty pageant in hopes that she will advance herself. This is not uh, a beauty pageant where there is a college scholarship at the end of it. This isn't something that Mordecai willingly um, signs Esther up for. Um, we need to understand that as we get started. But and we're going to see in verse eight, right here in chapter two, that she was taken. It's not like this was something that they entered. Number two, neither Mordecai or Esther are acting on a preconceived plan to rescue the Jews. Their actions and what we're about to have, about what we're about to see take place, are not based on a guarantee uh, of safety. There's no guarantee or anticipation of the future problems that are going to arise very quickly down the road. Uh, it, Esther 2 is also, number 3, uh, giving us an example to follow when we don't know what tomorrow holds. As we read in chapter 2, I hope that we will look at this story and let it be an example to us and how we should uh, act when things don't go according to plan. When things completely seem to be spiraling out of control. When you don't know where God is and what God is doing. We should trust Him and this gives us a great example to follow. So with that, let's pray and we'll get started reading. God, we thank you for examples like this in your word of what to do when we enter into difficult times. Even when the world completely seems to be falling apart. Even when we don't see you and your hand at work, God, your promises are still true. You're still as faithful today as you ever have been. And Father, you will uh, bring to completion what you started in our lives. Help us to trust you in the good days and in the bad. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start reading verse 1. It says after these things, when the anger of King Ahazarias had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done, and what he, what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, "Let beautiful vir- young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers, in all the provinces of the kingdom together all the beautiful women." Uh, the beautiful young virgins, to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given to them, and let the young, women who, the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. There's probably a time gap of about three years between chapters 1 and chapters 2. Um as we talked about last week, the king was probably in a war council meeting. This was before he would, was to go off to war with the Greeks. So um, the king, in this moment, he goes off to war with the Greeks. Um, he loses his uh, battle against the Greek, his war against the Greeks. And he comes back defeated, uh, back home with his tail kind of between his legs. And as he comes back defeated. He gets back home and he remembers his wife and he remembers how beautiful she was and he misses her. And um, he remembered the edict that he put into place where she could never come into his presence again. He's defeated. He's depressed. He probably wants things to go back to a little bit of normal. We can relate to that in our COVID-19 days. Uh, We just want things to go back and all of a sudden, his, his, his advisors, they realize if he keeps thinking on this too much, he's going to realize it was us that told him to banish Vashti. And he's going to take this out on us. So they come up with another plan. We need to get him another wife. We need to get his mind off Vashti. And so they come up with this plan. And in this attempt to find a replacement queen... For the king, the stage is set for Esther to become queen. Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah, which means Myrtle. Myrtle was a sign of God's covenant faithfulness. Uh, Her Persian name is Esther or Ishtar, which literally means star. And God, because of his covenant faithfulness, is going to raise up Esther, raise up this woman like a star for the deliverance of her people. Uh, for his people. But before she can be used by God, we're going to see how um, there are some things in Esther's life that she chose to obey God in that aligned her life up in such a way that she could be used by God. So she's made some decisions. She's made some decisions in her life. Um, And if we want to be used by God in a mighty way, I think there's certain things in our life that we can do and that we should do in our lives in obedience to God, in obedience to God's word. And then there's some things that only God can do, that only God can change certain things that happen in our life. But I think when we do our part in obedience to God, in obedience to God's word, and when God does what only God can do, it's going to set that up for God to do more than we could ever think or imagine. So, Here's what I want us to see in this story. What's Esther's part? Um, Let's continue reading in verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem along with the captives, carried away from Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up, bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure, and she was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther was also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. We're going to see Esther in this moment be faithful to God. First of all, Esther was faithful in her moral purity. Obviously, the overseers were looking out for young virgins, and she qualified. Um, she had adopted uh a morality of God, uh, an obedience to God, to remain pure. She's going to trust God in this area of her life. Uh, and don't forget that she is living in the middle of a very compromising day. She was living in a time where uh, her people were in exile. Uh, it would have been very easy um, for her to go with the flow. and But she doesn't. She chooses to remain Pure. She re- chooses to remain. Take this stand on her purity. And this. Let me just say this. This is not so that she could become queen. She did didn't do this in a, in a hope that one day she would become queen. She did this between her and God. When you think about uh, what had happened in her life, all the things that were going on, for her to take this stand, for her to remain faithful to God and obedience to God, it positioned her. Self to be used by God. Now, it doesn't mean that if she had messed up, if she had compromised that God didn't love her and that he couldn't use her, but if she had not been faithful to God in this area, these men would not have chosen her to go into this beauty pageant, so to speak, to be considered for the the queen. Her decision to live out God's holiness in her life enabled her to be set up to be used By God for His purposes. God calls us all to that. Um, All of His people to faithfulness in Him. You know, as followers of Jesus, um, He calls us to a very high standard. Uh, And that also includes morally and sexual purity. He calls us to those things. And if we disobey, it doesn't mean that God loves us any less. But It really can maximize our ability to be used by Him. Our faithfulness to Him sets us up even more. Our culture is really messed up when it comes to uh, their views on sexuality, their views on what it means to be. Uh, I remember growing up even in high school, and and you think about me growing up in high school. That was a long time ago. And and how much to even think about uh, cohabitation. Living together, you're like no way that would happen. When I was in high school, um, but that's the common thing now. Everyone wants to do that before they get married, and and so our generation is very skewed on their thinking and being faithful in this area because that's what our culture has twisted it to mean. And so, what we believe biblically to be right and wrong. Our culture has completely twisted that. And it doesn't match what God has called us to. God's way is always best. Um, He isn't trying to keep us from something. He he is trying to protect us. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, He was trying to protect them. And yet uh, they thought that God was keeping them from something. So Esther chooses to remain um, faithful in this area. I pray that we would uh, never want to be more like the world and stop being distinctive uh, in our walk with God. Uh, We should strive. I know uh, Hunter, when he prays with the teenagers and he prays with the staff, almost every time when he ends his prayer, he goes, Lord, help us to be more like you today than we were yesterday. And that's what we should strive for, to be more like Jesus every single day. More like Jesus, less like the world. And so Esther is faithful to God in her moral and sexual purity. Secondly, she is faithful to God in her circumstances. Esther's an orphan. What if Mordecai had not stepped up? What if he had not adopted his cousin? Uh, God mandated that in the Old Testament. We see very uh, much throughout the Old Testament God's plan for taking care of orphans. Uh, He brings it up with Isaiah. He brings it up with Jeremiah being the prophets. He says, true worship is shown when the orphans are taken care of. Psalms calls God the father of the fatherless. Um, He has a plan to take care of orphans. And that plan is the church. That plan is His people. Uh, We see in James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So Mordecai is going to step up in this way. Mordecai is going to step up and it's a big deal. And here we see a young lady early in her life. She's in exile. She's lost her parents. Um, Her cousin is now her guardian. And now she has been funneled into what we would consider to be uh, the bachelor Um, um, it would be The Bachelor. Uh, Persia, uh, in in Persia here. And and so in this episode of The Bachelor, she would look at this situation and go, okay, where's God? What what a terrible life that I have been dealt. What a terrible hand I've been dealt. Here I am in exile. I'm an orphan. I get adopted by um, my cousin. And now all of a sudden... I'm getting funneled into this beauty pageant. And it just isn't fair. It would have been very easy, I think, for Esther to become bitter. Um, ultimately, if they did not make the queen's status, they would more than likely become concubines for the court of the king or for the king himself. This was not a good situation for Esther to be in. The odds are stacked against her. This would be very easy for her to be bitter but she becomes a humble servant of God. She's going to also be faithful to Mordecai and what he's commanded her. And as we're going to see in just a few verses, she's faithful and obedient to Haggai, even who she's under under his command. Some of us need to get some encouragement from this passage today. And you're thinking, how can you look at this passage and get encouragement from it? Some of us may be living in the middle of a life... Situation right now where things just don't seem to be going the way you think they should be going. You've been dealt one bad hand after another. Uh, Things can't, you think, just when you think things can't get any worse, another bad situation happens. How do we make sense of that when that happens in our life? We need to be able to look at this story here in Esther and even in Esther's heartache and pain that she was going through. God was at work for his good plan and for his purpose. That's what God does. That's what God does in our lives as well. He takes our pain, what Satan meant for evil, and he turns it for his good and for his glory. And Esther just says to God, I will be faithful. So let's see what God's part in this story. Let's continue reading in verse 9. And the, young women, and the young woman pleased him and won his favor, that being Haggai. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people and, or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court in the harem and learned how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, when the turn came for each woman to go into King Ah Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulation for the women, since this was a regular period for their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for the women, when the young women went to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem of the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in. In the in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shalgaz and the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines, who would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her... And And his own daughter to go into the king. She asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken by King Hacerus into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. So let's look at what God's part is in this story. Esther was faithful, and God is going to grant her favor. This is critical. As we look during this whole passage in verse 9 uh, with Haggai, in verse 15 with all those who knew her, in verse 17 with the king, she continues to find favor with everyone around her. This word favor uh, in Hebrew is called hesed, meaning loving kindness. Um. It was the same word that we find when we look at the story of Joseph, when he found favor with Pharaoh. It's the same type of hesed and loving kindness and favor that we will find with Daniel when he encounters Nebuchadnezzar and when he encounters Darius. All of these situations where um, God provides uh, favor with these people, and it's the same favor here that He is going to give to Esther. Uh, the this word favor, this word hesed, is as close as you're going to see the word of you know, God mentioned in the book of Esther. Anytime the people of God, anytime uh, God's people would see this word and look into Scripture, it would be a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. Um, that he would not allow us to be put to shame, but he would show us favor. And I love how all of these examples, when you think about Nehemiah, When you think about um, Ezra, when you think about Daniel, when you think about Joseph, when you think about Esther, God is granting them favor with unbelievers. Even in a world full of unbelievers, He is giving them hesed. He's giving them favor over and over. And I I love how the result for Esther's promotion was happiness and blessing all around. When the king was happy, so was everyone else. It was a trickle-down effect. And it's funny that the exact same phrase when it says that he's distributing all of these gifts is the exact same phrase in chapter 1 that he uses when he distributes the wine freely. So he was happy back in chapter 1, and he was just like, let everyone drink however they wish. And now in chapter 2, we see him have that exact same attitude with Esther. He is in love, and he says... There's tax breaks all around. There's going to be gifts all around. This is a good time. So Proverbs 21.1, great verse. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. When God's people are faithful, God can use pagan kings for his purposes and his plans. Here's the principle. When God has called us to something and we are faithful to what he's called us to do, We can be confident that he will grant us favor to accomplish that plan. There's a great story uh, of Charles Spurgeon that I read this week. And Charles Spurgeon, his church was growing. It was getting really big. And he said, I need to buy some land. I need to expand my church. And so he goes to this banker and he says, I want to buy this piece of land. And this banker's like, "Sweet, I know of Charles Spurgeon. I've heard of his popularity And he wants to buy this. So he goes to another banker and he says, All right, I got Charles Spurgeon over here and he wants to buy this land. What should I do? You know what the banker tells him? You better sell him the land immediately because if you don't, God will make you give it to him. (laughs) I love that story. That's a man that understands God's favor over someone else. And when God has favor over someone like that, you, you better just sell him the land because God will make you give it to him. That should give us confidence in how we live our life. If this passage is true, and if we know that this text is true, we should assume that if God wants us to do something in our lives, He's going to give us what we need to to complete it. We don't have anything to be afraid of. Think about the people of Israel. God commands them to go into the promised land. I want you to go in and take it. Everything before you, wherever you put your foot, it's yours. It's yours. They send in some spies. All but two come back and say, it's too much. The people are too big. We're like grasshoppers to them. We can't do it. So God says, all right, go take a little walk. Let's walk some of that fear out of you. And when they come back to the land again, we see them going into the promised land and they meet Rahab. Okay? They meet Rahab. And what does Rahab tell them? We've been scared of you guys for 40 years. The land had literally melted away before them. He had already given them the victory. All they needed to do was be faithful to Him. You see, God had already given them the favor. All they needed to do was trust Him. What is God calling you to do? Is He calling you to do something? Because if He is, He's going to give you everything that you need to accomplish that. And when we do that, When we do what God has called us to, He will not let us down. We don't have to question His faithfulness. He is always faithful. He always has been faithful. It's our faithfulness that always gets in the way. Um, The question is our faithfulness, not His. So, We're going to see Esther crowned as queen. Uh, I don't think we can stop there. I'm going to give you a few uh, things that I thought were excellent. This is straight out of Landon Dowden's book. So here you go. Number one, King... Ahasuerus exercises authority for his own gratification, but Jesus does so for ours. This earthly king is going to give tax relief. He's going to give great gifts, but that's after he has taken many young virgins uh, from their families. This earthly king is thinking only about his own good. Jesus doesn't do this. John 10, 10, and 11 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Number two, King Ahasuerus sought a beautiful and pure bride, but Jesus makes us into one. The gospel, by contrast, is not a long story in which a good-looking, An experienced groom meets and falls in love with a radiant, pure, beautiful bride. The gospel is a love story in which a radiant and pure groom chooses to love and purify a wretched bride who has repeatedly given herself away to the world. That's the story of the gospel. If you want a great picture of that, you can go and you can read uh, Hosea, a story about Hosea and Gomer. It will give you a beautiful picture of what... Uh, that is in our lives. number three King Ahasuerus left the women he used with shame, but Jesus takes ours away. can only imagine some of the shame that these ladies felt of being used uh, but Jesus takes our shame away everyone who believes on him Romans 1011 will not be put to shame. Jesus takes our shame away. He does not enhance that in any way, shape, or form. Lastly, um, Mordecai could only check on Esther's situation, but Jesus changes ours. Mordecai, um, as much as he loved Esther, he didn't have the power to go in and help her in any way, shape, or form. And to think that day after day, worrying about her situation, worrying about her well-being... And what was happening to her and what type of status she was in. Jesus, however, does change our situation. He has the ability to change every one of our situations. He has the desire and the ability to accomplish His will in our lives. He can take away our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, and make us to where we want to continually obey Him and be faithful to Him. He can change our situation. Here's the last thing I want to leave you with. This is the last little quote by Ronald Muller. He says The overall message of the Bible is not just a story of God redeeming his people, but it is also a story of God raising mankind from a position of shame to the ultimate position of joint heir with Christ. And that's what God does for us. We, in our sin, were um, completely lost. And God uh, chose to send His Son to change our situation. He chose to um, change our situation so that we can be in a right relationship with Him once again.